Okay, this is Sergey Ross Growth Podcast. I'm here with Lubis Greiner, a marketer, entrepreneur who fights marketing bullshit. He's the host of Everyone Hates Marketers Podcast and had a very well-known guest like Seth Godin. And he works as a content marketer right now at a fully remote startup called Hotjar. Lewis has written a ton of content on marketing and business. You can find his work on his website, his LinkedIn. He's got a polarizing style that immediately caught my attention and that's why I wanted to invite him here on my show. So Lewis, thanks a lot for joining me here from Dublin. Bonjour, bonjour. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for doing what you're doing as well. It's not easy to interview someone like that remotely. So kudos for you uh, taking your time to do it. So let's get to, I want to start with this. You are about to write an email to Seth Godin, invite him to your podcast. What goes through your mind at this moment? I was like, you know, fuck it. Um, I've been reading his book since... It's the first book I read from him was when I was 17. It was one of the first books I read about marketing, and that's really what made me fall in love with it. Now, I know that some folks listening to your podcast might say, ah, oh, you know, he's all fluffy and inspirational, he's no tactics or whatever. But that's not really what he tries to do. So years after that, when I realized, actually, with a podcast, you can talk to almost everyone in the world that you, that you like. And you feel empowered, you feel confident more and more. And at one day, I was just like, you know what? Let's just see. Let's just email him, right? And mm-hmm. his email address is public. Like he has it on his, his website. So, so he's known actually to reply to his email in one or two words and to say, fuck you, if he doesn't want to hear from you anymore or whatever. So mm-hmm. I just gave it a chance. Um, now, he asked me not to share how I actually got him on the show. I'm serious. He actually sent me an email <laughs> saying, please do not share how you managed to get me on the show because I don't want to receive similar emails mm-hmm. that much. But I will say it though. Uh, no, it's it's you know it's it's it was crazy because that that it just shows that there's just people like you and me. And if you are listening to this right now, and if you want to launch a podcast, a blog, whatever else, you will be surprised that people that you look up to as if they are just gods are just like you and you and me, and they love to talk about themselves. So you 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 can get them on board for anything. They're just people, right? They're they're now different. They're not superhumans. They're not robots. Exactly. exactly. They might have less time, but those are that. That's that's amazing. I love that. It's a, such an amazing example. As somebody who um, I do a lot of <laughs> prospecting for the podcast, it is it is a hard thing. And seeing this victories is amazing. There's a really cool movie that I like. It's called In Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. And there's a scene where Will bumps into a super successful stockbroker, and he works in Wall Street. Then he climbs out of his Ferrari, and he's like. Two questions for you. What do you do and how you do it? So tell us about you. Tell us about your background. What have you been uh, doing so far and uh, your podcast? So what do I do? I fight marketing bullshit. And how do I do it? By trying to inspire people to understand that you can reach targets. You can make money. You can uh, have the result that you want by not without using shady, aggressive marketing tactics. In a nutshell, that's the elevator pitch. Now, I can go into more details if you wish. Yeah, tell us about your, you, you, so you went, your career started in mechanical engineering. I believe you started in France, then you moved, uh, you started in the US and then, um, and then you, you switched. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, when I was in high school, I, I had in mind to, to create wind turbines. I don't know why exactly. My mom was really into like, 
green energy and all of that and i just got inspired and i also always had in mind like to have my own business for the wrong reasons so that i could be my own boss and all the wrong reasons to be to have your own business so i found the college that offered that type of stuff where i could learn that so i went to a mechanical engineering school for two years i was miserable from the first mm -hmm. day because i discovered that people there were actually interested in cars and that's what you were studying there mostly and i couldn't mm -hmm. care less about cars, to be honest with you. I stick through it until my third year, where I went one year in the US to study mechanical engineering in an exchange program. And that's when I mm -hmm. just decided to quit because I just couldn't do it. It was getting more and more complex, more and more in-depth, more and more abstract, and I couldn't care less about it. Um, yeah. But I discovered marketing then. Uh, I, I was reading books from Seth Godin and others. I was reading books around psychology. And that's really when I understood, shit, this is something I could do. And the other thing I was doing as well, I was reading the courses of my friends who were in business and marketing in college there in the US. And I was so jealous of them because they were really studying something that seemed way more interesting than the shit I was studying. So <laughs> I went back to France for a year, studied in business school for a year doing marketing. And then I left for Ireland to do an internship that was supposed to, to, to last uh, three months. And I've been living here for nine years now. So I never left just because I got some opportunities there in the company mm -hmm. I was working for, not in marketing yet. Then I did a quick diploma in digital marketing uh, that enabled me to get my first job in a startup in marketing. Then I created my own business where I burnt out. I can explain that in more detail. And then I joined Hotjar. Yeah. And in the meantime, launched the podcast. That's the, the story. Very, very cool. You like to use strong language in many things that you do, in your in titles that you use for your articles, in description, in position your podcast. You frequently would say things like, oh, fuck content marketing, the language of bullshit, and these sorts of titles. Is this a way to cut through clutter, or is it your personality, or are those both? So there is a part of scientifically positioning the podcast uh, and the way I do things is a part of just being myself. So I think the, the advantage I have is that English is not my first language and I don't put as much weight on things as maybe others. And I use simple language because I can't use complex language because I don't know the words for it. So mm -hmm. I think the combination of those two things makes me just be and talk straight like I would in French, right? And my personality right. is quite like that. I like, I kind of like to be very direct and I expect others to be direct with me. And so that's kind of, you know, uh, let me tell you a quick story actually to, for this. When, Go for it. When I started my consulting business, I had 20 grand in my bank account, I had no credibility. I didn't make any money there and then whatever. And the image I had of a consultant that was successful was someone in a suit who would pose in front of a photograph next to a, a landmark building in Dublin, right? So that was my idea of a good consultant. So I just followed that, the mental model of a good consultant. I bought a suit. I hired a photographer and like idiots for an hour, we went in Grand Canal in Dublin, which is an area where you have, you know, big buildings and stuff. Mm. Took pictures there and used that in my website. The issue is that it's not me. I don't like suits. I couldn't care less about suits. I don't put a lot of importance in my own head about clothing and whatnot. Um, I do mm. care about sim people who are simple, who, 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 uh, who are no bullshit, like straight talker. I don't like people who are trying to trick me into anything. And so 
right there was a lesson for me. I tried to be someone I wasn't. And I know it sounds a bit cliche, but it's exactly what happened. So after a while, you start to understand that it's much easier to be yourself because it means that you can do that over and over again. It doesn't get tiring. For me, talking like the way I talk is not tiring at all. It's just me. It's just the way my brain works. Interviewing people and cursing is, is just the, how, the way my, my brain works, right? So I have no problem doing that. If some people don't mm. like it, so be it. You know, a few years ago, I actually spoke at a conference and I was cursing quite a bit because I got pissed off about something. I don't remember what during my presentation. <laughs> and someone after the talk came to me and said, you know, I really enjoyed your presentation, but because you cursed, I, I just zoned out and I didn't want to listen to you anymore. And that was a very good lesson in positioning, uh, a very good lesson in marketing in general. If you mm. are trying to please everyone, you're not, it's not going to work. Uh, you, it's either going to be very neutral. People are just going to be, yeah, okay. But no one is gonna, really going to remember you. And this is what good positioning is. You need to understand truly who, what you're creating is for and who it's not for. Mm. And the podcast is a good example of that. Everyone hates marketers. It's not for everyone. And, you know, if, if you don't like people who curse, then it's not for you. If you don't like, if you do like to trick people into uh, so that you can make more money, it's not for you. Just go away. I don't want you to listen to it. And right. this is what I think marketers and people who have businesses should do more of to take a stand on something because life is too short to just, you know, stay on the sideline and have status quo. People connect emotionally to things that are strong like this. So everyone is a marketer is a small example of that. And, you know, there's all of these talks in marketing about everybody does marketing, everybody has a podcast, and how do you really stand out? And I think you had an article on that, which very was very close to what I thought about or what I think about that is you put a term radical transparency where you will be and radical transparency will be in the way you communicate, in the way that you show your personality. So talk to me about that. How does that fit into the marketing landscape and just cutting through the, that noise of everybody doing the same thing. So transparency is, is a cool concept, right? That a lot of startups start to embrace where they're sharing their revenue and whatnot. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you need as a company, you need to be careful with it. You're not just going to be transparent for the sake of it. It needs to be truly embedded in your values and what you believe, right? If you don't believe that sharing information publicly is going to make any difference to your to your world, then don't do it. However, if you do believe that authenticity is something that people care about and you want to really attract the right type of people who truly connect with your values, then you must be transparent somehow. Doesn't, it does not mean necessarily sharing your revenue online or anything like mm. that, but it could mean to share the behind the scenes of your business. It could mean to be on podcast interviews and be authentic about your story and say that you failed more times than you succeeded. Um, and there is a cool psychology principle behind that. I'm not going to remember the name of the effect, but um, mm -hmm. it basically goes as um, the more, if, if, if someone admits a flaw or weakness before speaking or before doing something, people are more likely to trust this person, right? So you don't want yeah. to do that by just calculating it, but you also want to have that in the back of your mind. And that just, that just works, right? If someone is really trying super hard to be perfect, you know, mm -hmm. something is fishy. Like I did a few years ago when I tried to be the perfect consultant. Instead, if you just say, listen, I'm not super good at that, but I'm the best in the world at this. This is when people are going to say, ha, I can trust this guy or this girl because they seem trustful. And that's what transparency is about. But again, it needs to be connected to your own values. You, you can't force it. 
it's not for everyone. Yeah, it's like the one of those really cool marketing techniques where you you know you go to a restaurant and if a waiter tells you oh everything's really great here then you know something's off because no restaurant would have all the meals that are really really good versus if you have a waiter who tells you oh don't buy this this sucks get this you'll be like instantly gain it gains your credibility. Exactly, it's a great example. You worked for about two years as a consultant, uh, started your company called Slices. What was the hardest, hardest thing at that time in your career? That was definitely the, the, the lowest point in my life. That was the toughest point in my life. Psychologically speaking, I really struggled with mental health. I think I was, I, w- I wouldn't say I was depressed. Uh, I had never really felt depressed before. It's more anxiety that started to be really big for me. Mm-hmm. So really anxious about salary, about paying myself, really anxious about getting the new clients and all of that. So that was really tough. Um, the biggest mistake I've made at the time is that I launched, as I mentioned before, with 20,000 euros in my bank account. So to cover my ass for six months or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue though is that I had zero euro in my credibility bank account. So I had no credibility. Yeah. No one knew me. I had no network or very small one. I didn't have deep expertise either into marketing mm-hmm. yet. And I was expecting people to trust me with their money on projects that were like around conversion rate optimization, like just optimizing the experience of a website. And I just struggled because I didn't have that, right? I really struggled to get clients. Mm-hmm. When I got them, it was really difficult to get them to pay me because of this credibility issue. And I just did everything backwards. So after a year and a half of struggling with getting clients, and then when we were getting clients, struggling to do the good work, we did some very good work for some folks, but not everyone. Mm-hmm. We just, I just had nothing left in the tank, you know, psychologically speaking, I was just done. I remember going to the office, staring at my screen for eight hours, not being able to do anything. And I know that's a common thing that not a lot of people will talk about, but we need to be open with those because it's not, it's sexy to think about launching a business, but it's hard. It's really, really hard. So I know you haven't asked a question, but I I guess I can answer this question already, Mm -hmm. which is how would you do it differently, you know? Um, I would start with building credibility before trying to build a big client base. You know, I would start to make sure that you have a network of people who trust you, who value your expertise before launching anything. And then once people are almost begging you to work with you, this is mm-hmm. when you can start. You know. Yeah, I've seen that uh, myself as well. Building or spending most of your time on business development and then trying to close deals instead of doing marketing That is a, a very hard way uh, of um, of learning as a consultant It is extremely tough. It is super super tough. It's not for everyone really not and And then on top of that having all this uncertainty and then you know kind of seeing cash draining in your account and like doesn't look like to be topping up anytime soon Tell me about content you obviously spend time on your content. We see a lot of gated content. Gated content, if you're trying to download something, you have to fill out this giant form. Some people have a smaller one. Is it good, bad? Where is it going? Well, what are your thoughts on this? It depends. You know, it really depends. Um, if it's, it's a relationship, right? So when you give something for free, like using the reciprocity rule, if you give something away and you expect something in return, if this thing you're giving away is really valuable for folks, then people are more than willing to, to get their email address and reply uh, and like read a lot of fields. For example, if you have a strong problem with your CRM system and you're looking for another one, 
And you know that, I don't know, I'm just coming up with this. Salesforce mm -hmm. have the answer potentially to your problem that is super painful right now. You don't mind filling a 20 field form to get a demo back or to get a guide on how to set it up, right? So it's really not about gating content is bad. It's about what is the value that we're exchanging together and is what you're giving worth the, the squeeze, you know, what's the email. So you have a lot of smart folks in the marketing world using that principle very well. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. Brennan Dunn from wfreelancing.com. If you go to his homepage, the first thing you're going to see is a nine lesson course, email course on how to price your client better. Now, from the homepage itself, you understand that this course is super valuable. The only thing you need to give in return is email. To me, that's gated content. But it's valuable mm -hmm. for both parties, right? So it's, it's, I wouldn't think about it to say it's bad. I would just say it really depends whether you're willing to give something that is really valuable. Um, the, the last thing to consider is its discoverability. Uh, I think it's a mistake a lot of people would do is that they might have a very good system to generate leads, to capture them mm -hmm. with email or whatever, but the top of their funnel is not really being fed. There's nothing. There's not a lot of people coming through. And if you only have gated content, um, it's likely that Google doesn't can't index it. And therefore, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So you need to consider as well, what are the things you're going to produce that are be, going to be freely available, like a podcast you're doing or blog post or something else. Right. Fill at the top of the funnel before you go on to gate everything, if you're going to gate it. Exactly. What about working for free somebody let's say somebody has little or no experience maybe they're looking for a job uh, maybe they're looking to change their career there's all these controversial thoughts on working for free i think you have an opinion on that yeah um it's it's also a tricky one um you might want to start working for free if you don't have necessarily case studies or anything to build your credibility um that's something that usually works quite well but you don't want to do that for too long, right? It's like there's a lot of that happening in the freelance world where like you're expecting to work for free, not giving a lot in return. Again, it's an exchange of, of value. If you really can do some good work for free to get your first case studies and build credibility, then why not doing it? But it should never be the de facto thing you need to do. You need to start with that uh, a, a, bit, a bit like what software would do with for premium, like for their freemium model. It's an acquisition model. It's not a revenue model, right? And so therefore, mm -hmm. if some, some software give the, the, some companies give their software for free, they know that in return, people will like it, might talk about it. And, and this is a bit the same as, uh, as a consultant or freelancer. So you need to consider mm -hmm. the, the value that you get out of it. If it's just working for free for, the, for adding a small testimonial in the, in the bottom of your website, I don't know if it's worth it. But if it's to have a full-on case study that goes super in-depth that you can showcase right. to bigger clients, I'd say why not? Yeah, and you're decommoditizing yourself with uh, from all those hundreds of applicants that are trying to pull uh, somebody in, and they're trying to get a job, and then they don't have experience. They're all the same. Yeah. How has a failure or any apparent failure set you up for later success that you um, later in your career? Well, I, again, I think the, the biggest thing was was this consulting, you know, and this business. I realized. Two things. I've realized a lot of things, but I would say two things mostly. The mm -hmm. one is the credibility thing. Again, I've realized that, you know, you go to a meeting, you see people face to face and you can feel the lack of trust from them. You can just feel in their eyes that they don't trust you. They're trying to, 
to lower the cost as much as possible. So they're trying to find a, a gettable consultant who will do that for almost free. And those consultants are the only one willing to do that are the ones who don't have credibility like I used to. So I've learned that the super hard way. And I've realized then, you know, if I had to create another business again, ever again, I would start with building credibility for mm -hmm. years before I even start to sell something again. The second thing that I discovered is, you know, I never really sat down when I started the business and say, you know, how do I want it to look like? Do I want employees? Do I want just to work with a few freelancers, trusted freelancers? Do I want an office? Do I not want an office? All of those questions I never really asked myself. And when you're in the motion of it, you realize, hey, you just take decision like this on the fly without thinking of your long-term success and your mental health. And that was a big thing as well. So if I had to start a business again, I would list everything down and say, okay, this is what I want. This is what I do not want. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big mistake that I see others do as well. Talk to me about mental health. Uh, there definitely, you know, it, everybody looks on social media, everybody looks very happy, peaceful and everything, but it's not really how life works. We all know that. Uh, what are some of the things that you do personally? Maybe you have certain routines, uh, maybe you read certain books, any types of questions you ask when you're, you're not feeling it 100%. Uh, that help you? That's a really good question. And it is, it's something that, that folks need to talk more about in general, mental health. Um, I've, I don't know where I read this, read this recently, but they were saying that social media is basically, the, the posts you see are basically the highlights of everyone's lives. Mm. So with that in yeah. mind, the only thing you see is literally the best day of their year or month, you know? And you feel like shit looking at it. So here's, here's, a, so here's a solution that, I, that I've been employing that works really well. One, I'm only keeping Facebook Messenger because my wife is on it and a few friends and I want to keep in touch with them. But I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. I do not have a way on my browser to look at it because I have a plugin called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator where even if I go to Facebook, I can't mm -hmm. see any post. I don't have Instagram. I have Twitter, but that's just to monitor a few keywords, a few things I'm interested in. And then I use LinkedIn. I still enjoy it. I think it's still not, not that bad. But mm -hmm. the lesson here is really make, take a look at what you're bringing in your head. Because, you know, what gets in gets out. If you, if you just feed yourself shit, you know, through your brain, what's going to get out is, is pure shit as well. So this is super important. I have a friend of mine who stopped social media altogether for like the last two years and he hasn't looked back. So yeah. be very, very mindful of what you are opening your mind to because that could just fill up your brain to some stuff that are not super good. And in terms of mental health in general, you know, last year I also had a, an episode for a few weeks where I was feeling super anxious. Uh, just mm -hmm. my anxiety flared up. Uh, I didn't realize wh why until, until a few weeks after. I, I signed up to a gym and I started to go there like three, four times a week and taking break in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day. So morning would be deep work. Then mm -hmm. I would take two hours of break, go to the gym, then do some work again in the afternoon. And it changed everything for me. Um, mm. I felt energized. I felt much better about myself, much more confident, much calmer, all of that. So I obviously that's just the way I, I, I work and I function. I wouldn't say that it's for everyone the same, but sports and physical activity is proven to be beneficial to mental health. So I would, I would really urge anyone to consider that if you don't feel super well, if you feel anxious or depressed, 
obviously there are some clinical case of that. I can't just be give mental health advice like this, but it's proven that sport and that kind of stuff are like a good way to, to release energy and to feel better about yourself. But it's also like when, when you're working out, when you're running or you're lifting weights, whatever you are doing, you have to put an effort uh, and you have to maybe feel a little bit of pain. And then if you do that consistently, what it does, it just uh, it's, um, also works out your mind. Uh, it also helps you or helps your mind realize, oh, I actually can go over the time or do more than I actually thought I could possibly do. And when you do that on a consistent basis, uh, that does translate into your work, right? Or other areas of life. Yeah, although you need to be careful because if you start listening at folks like Elon Musk or the previous CEO of Yahoo, uh, who was talking uh, Marissa about, Mayer. yeah, talking about working 100 hours a week and all of that. Be careful of those advice. There's a very good book about why we sleep. Uh, it's, it's called Why We Sleep that talks about the fact that those folks are just functioning on, on empty and you wouldn't be in their, in the, in their shoes because their body is shutting down. You do need seven to eight hours of sleep every night. You do need to switch off all screens at least an hour before you go to sleep. There's a lot of things like this that are proven scientifically that works and you need to take time to, to study that because um, if you have good nights of sleep, if you go, if you exercise, if you work 40 hours a week or less, all of that is going to compound. You know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I used to think it was yeah. a series of sprints. It's a marathon when I had my business. I just burnt out within a year and a half. I didn't go anywhere. If I had done it different, differently, I would still be having the business probably and I would still be, I would be successful. So. Keep that in mind as well. Good sleep is important. Hundred percent agree. What are some of the what are some of the recommendations that you hear in marketing right now that marketers should ignore? So here's maybe a, some of the things. Yeah, I, I can talk about hours for that for hours for that. But here's a good filtering system. What I would advise folks to do is to focus on things that will not change. And going back to the basics. So what does it mean? If you read an advice that says you need to go on Facebook Messenger or set up a Facebook bot on your site because at the minute it gets an open rate of 90% and a click-through rate of 30%. When you read that type of advice or so-called best practices, you need to ask yourself the question, will this still be true in 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years? Yes or no? No, it's not. Right. You know that. It's, it can't happen. Every marketer knows that channels get saturated, that Facebook Messenger will become just like emails in 10 years, whereby the open rate will be 20%, click rate will be 2%. Or even at this stage, Facebook might be in a completely different thing. And you don't own anything on Facebook, by the way, uh, unlike email address that you might own. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the best way to go about it. Yes, you will get advice and tactics and you need to be get, to get tactical in your marketing, but you need to start with the foundations and first principles and work, work your way up. So when you, when, you, when you see an advice that says you need to use testimonials on your website, that's a very valid advice, but you need to understand why. That's because of the power mm -hmm. of social proof and authority. Those are two principles of emotional like persuasion that works on people because we are wired this way. We seek social proof from people we look alike or we look up to. We uh, look up to authorities, uh, we trust them, and therefore showing testimonials of those type of people on our website works because of those principles. But if you forget those principles, then you can't apply them to somewhere else and you just get stuck in this 
very small box that might disappear in two years or even six months or even two days. Um, and so this is kind of, if you're thinking this way, then it means that whatever happens, you're good. It means that if Google AdWords have a new algorithm and you panic because you don't know how to use it anymore, just go back to those principles, the basis of marketing that will always work. And you can change channel, you can, you can, it, it is going to be challenging, but that's the best way to deal with those advice. Right. So starting, start, starting with fundamental principles of copywriting, David Ogilvy, Cloud Hopkins, and looking at Sheldini, six principles of influence, you mentioned a few of them, things that never cha changed over the span of hundreds of years, that's a good start. Yeah, and, and you know what, that's how, that's how I switched my thinking a few years ago. And you as a marketer feel so much more tranquility because of it, that it just enables you to, you feel unbeatable. Anything that is thrown at you, you know how to handle it because you go back to principles and think of the successful marketers. You mentioned a few very well-known ones. Think of a contemporary one like Seth Godin. Think of the way he deals with marketing. He doesn't have Twitter, doesn't have Facebook, doesn't have LinkedIn. He publishes one time a day, every day for the last seven or eight years at this stage. He shares content, mm -hmm. he helps people out. He doesn't give a shit whether Facebook Messenger is the next thing to do. He knows what to focus on. He's very tranquil in his house right now, chilling uh, with a very expensive bottle of wine or whatever it is, because he knows that those principles are never going to change. It's, it's just, it's, it's so draining to think that marketing is changing all the time. It's so draining. You know, you need to constantly check trends and whatever. I'm not saying it's not important, but it needs to be coupled with the foundations. But uh, on the flip side, businesses and people always want uh, three magic steps to build in 100,000 followers, right? So that's always going to be, so there always will be a market for, for people who give that advice, right? With Facebook checkboxes or whatever that mm -hmm. is. Yeah, so they, they'll get them, they'll, there is a market for that, of course, at the start, and then they realize it's not working and then they'll go to, to what matters. You read a lot of books uh, on, I'm sure, personal development, obviously marketing, you you you, had, you read a lot of set Godin books, maybe probably all of them. What are some of the best ones that you found, not necessarily in marketing, could be business, could be personal development, that you, you kept coming back to? Um, so I'm, I'm looking at my list right now on Kindle. Um, Cool. So you mentioned persuasion by Cialdini. Persuasion by Cialdini as well is really good. Um, the Secret Life of the Brain is a psychology book that is really interesting about the way the brain works. And for example, the fact that your brain takes a decision on something five seconds before you even start to take the decision yourself, your conscious mind. So you start to understand a bit like why we take mm -hmm. decision. Uh, one by uh, my friend Richard Chotton, The Choice Factory is also something around behavioral biases. Uh, he has 25 in this book. Uh, all the books by Basecamp, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy at work, remote, that are like very straight to the point, no bullshit, I like that. Uh, you have also the, the book by uh, Yuval Noah Harari, you know, The 21 Lessons from the 21st Century or Sapiens, really mm. good books as well. As you can see, there's a trend there. I like, I like to read yeah. about things that are never going to change. Um, in terms of marketing in particular, the one page marketing plan is really good because it's super simple and focuses on stuff that will never change. You can use it in the next 50 years. It's still going to be super relevant. You mentioned OGP mm -hmm. on advertising. Another very good book on copywriting that I must read again, actually, is The Boron Letters, which is a series of letters that a dad from prison sends to his son. Super cool. I read it. Very good. 
Yeah. So I mean, I could go on and on, but I think that should be enough for for you to stop. This is this is good. And what we'll do, we'll link it in show notes. Everybody can grab them. I mean, I think it's a good selection. I haven't read the, some of them that you mentioned initially, which is awesome. Louis, where's where's everybody could find you online? I know you're not on all platforms, but uh, where where are you active right now? The best place is everyonehasemarketers.com or if you search on your podcast, Everyone Has Marketers. Um, if you want to talk to me, you just email me. It's Louis, L-O-U-I-S, at everyonehasemarketers.com. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter or LinkedIn, but mostly email is probably the best place to talk to me. And the podcast I publish every week. What impact would you like to have with your work that you are doing right now and where you had it in the future? So I'm toying with this vision a bit at the minute, um, and I don't want to sound like someone who um, who is full of himself, but I'd love to inspire a lot of folks to practice good marketing and to prove that it works. So I'd love to inspire a lot of people who don't know where to start, who feels that marketing is overwhelming uh, or even ineffective or both to... Um, to use a different form of marketing that is more based on foundations and principles. So, I, I you know, the podcast has been listened 250,000 times at this stage, which is which is good for something that I haven't promoted that much. Uh, I wish I wish we can inspire in the next year one million people. That could be quite fun. That's amazing. And uh, Luz, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. It's a great interview. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I know, I know it's not easy to do to do this. So. Thanks for doing that. And if you guys like this episode, go on Apple Podcasts, leave a six star. This is a six star only show. <laughs> and uh, check out uh, what Lou is doing, his work, the books that he recommends. And I will see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.